Okay, hello everybody and welcome to Investing with IBD sponsored by MarketSmith. Today is November 11th, 2020. I'm your host, Arusha Paris, and today we have Nina Decca on the show. Nina is a senior research analyst at RoboGlobal. Thanks for being here, Nina. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. On today's podcast, we are going to talk a lot about healthcare and technology and the convergence of these two trends throughout the episode. And then we will end the episode with a few current ideas. Let's just quickly go into the market here, the current market. We are in a confirmed uptrend. Uh, We have one distribution day on the NASDAQ. Uh, A number of our growth stocks did get hit this week. So you just want to make sure you are managing your risk. Now, uh, Nina, let's get into your background first. And uh, why don't you walk us through how you got into uh, investing in this industry uh, and as an analyst at RoboGlobal? Sure. So actually, my background is healthcare. I began my career in the healthcare industry, working for some large publicly traded companies like Cardinal Health, Becton Dickinson, and even uh, at some smaller privately owned ones for a while, uh, spanning different um, roles such as financial analysis, corporate finance. Um, And then actually, I spent the last decade uh, before transitioning to the street in medical device sales. So I was actually a quota carrying sales rep and, uh, and I, I was selling uh, different devices to hospitals around the Northeast region. Uh, and then I uh, transitioned to the street. I was on the sell side at Piper Sandler and um, I was covering healthcare IT and services. So I made a pivot from med tech diagnostic and tools world into the healthcare software and digital health arena. And that was a really exciting time to be covering that space because it was around the time the uh, the Affordable Care Act through the, the High Tech Act yeah. uh, put about $35 billion worth of stimulus budget into providers' hands to go out and buy electronic health record software. Uh, that combined with um, increased consumer adoption of smartphone technology led to the explosion of digital health as we know it today. So uh, really exciting time to be covering that space. And then I transitioned toward um, the ETF side and I'm now at RoboGlobal. I focus primarily on our healthcare strategy and uh, which we actually launched, I'm not sure if you're aware, we have the Healthcare Technology and Innovation Index. Uh, we're a boutique investment advisory firm. We manage these different strategies, and um, several of them trade as ETFs on different exchanges globally. No, and that's excellent. So, so first, uh, and we'll we'll get to H Tech in in one second. I, I just want to go first back to uh, this transition to electronic records, and so I, the, the, it's it's already started, but it, the, how how far? Does it have to go still in the industry? Because I, I uh, when I when I came out of college, I started in in medical research and and uh, working in the glaucoma field, and you know everything was paper there. And last time I checked, like five six years ago, when when I, when I was in hospitals and stuff like that, it seemed like we were all still doing paper. So how, how far do you think uh, the industry still has to go to really get to almost everything as electronic? Everything is basically already converted. So I would oh. say. When you when when you look at the hospital systems, pre- predominantly around the United States, um, I would look at nearly 100% adoption, uh, and that's because if the hospital system did not 
buy an EHR, they were later then penalized for not having one. Not only would you lose the, the stimulus budget that you could put toward it, but then you, uh, you also would get penalized. Um, so basically every hospital system that didn't already have one went out and bought one. That's, that adoption is already here. But what happened was uh, a lot of, a lot of uh, software was implemented that is based on several decades old architecture. Okay. And, uh, and, and it wasn't necessarily integrated with all of the other software applications being used throughout the healthcare system. So the lab uh, record, um, the, the lab technology software, the pharmacy, um, the, the, the claims, there's just so many different areas, um, hundreds of different areas within a hospital system that is plugged into some type of uh, computer software. And, and these systems were not all talking to one another and nor were they necessarily with the implementation of the new uh, very expensive electronic health record software. So that created another so sort of industry for data analytics companies to come and overlie all of these disparate systems, pull in all the data and analyze it to then use for, uh, for further use, such as yep. population health management and other types of cost savings initiatives. Perfect. No, I, yeah, that that's really interesting. And and the more I thought about it, as you, as you were talking about this, it doesn't it makes sense because when I did my annual exam last year, I didn't even have to report it to like the HR because they, they they give you some cash or something like that. Or I think Etno automatically had it. You know, the the doctor sent it immediately over there. So so yeah, it is it is pretty fascinating that that is a lot further than than I thought it was. So uh, Nina, let's talk about uh, the, your index. You mentioned it here. Talk about what the, the goal is for this index and uh, and then also how, how the index is doing so far. Interestingly, uh, our background is, our, our flagship strategy is our robo. It's our robotics automation and AI strategy mm-hmm. where we focus on um, new innovative technologies around robotics automation and AI around multiple sectors, including healthcare. And over the seven years that we ran that index, we saw an explosion of technology and disruption happening in the healthcare sector alone. So much so that we believed it warranted its own strategy. So what we did was um, in June of 2019, we launched the HTEC ETF, ticker HTEC, to help investors capture all of the innovation happening across the healthcare landscape. And, and if you'd like, I can go a little bit further into the methodology behind that. Yeah, no, please do. Yeah, what, what I'm going to do, Nina, is I'm going to pull up a MarketSmith chart here. Uh, so it's so like, I'll just throw up the ETF right here, HTEC. And uh, yeah, so so yeah, go, go, go into it a little bit further uh, of what the goals are and, and uh, sure. uh, whatever else you want to discuss about it. So what we did was we looked across the healthcare landscape and determined nine different areas where we believe the most disruption was taking place over the next five to 10 years. Areas such as robotics, telehealth, precision medicine, genomics, diagnostics, all of these areas we believe are very much transforming uh, to a place where we won't even be able to recognize it in five, 10 years time when we look back on today. And so, um, and so interestingly, um, if you were to compare our strategy, which has year to date returned 43% to like an IXJ, which is another basket of, of healthcare companies um, okay. that's available, um, you'll see that that has returned about r- roughly 9% year to date. Yeah. And the, 
the vast difference is a lot of the holdings, um, whereas some of those more traditional healthcare ETFs focus more primarily on large cap companies. And when you do that, you get a bigger basket of large cap pharmaceuticals and, and health insurance companies, managed care and services. We're more focused on those other nine areas that I just described, which are, they tend to be more um, up and coming companies uh, representing innovation. And, uh, and they also tend to be a little bit smaller. So roughly half of the companies in the index are small and mid cap companies. And so when you get that combination of, of just where we're only focused on, on disruption and innovation, um, you're, you're seeing these higher returns. No, and, and that makes sense. One of the, uh, I mean, there, there are a lot of benefits for ETS, but as you're uh, talk about here, one of the downsides, in my opinion, uh, for most of the ETFs is they're too broad, they're too diversified, and it's hard to get those really growth, uh, kind of uh, really take advantage of these major trends. So it is interesting that to see that your index and this ETF is really focused on the disruptive part of uh, what's going on in healthcare and how technology is impacting that too. Yeah, and I agree with you. Uh, we we kind of we're, we have about eighty five different companies in the index, the underlying index, and um, and we try to keep it around there because um, many more than that, and it, it, it strays beyond our methodology. Yeah. yeah. And fewer of that, and then we we believe that we're getting a lot more targeted and focused, and that also strays beyond our methodology. So, um, just to give you an example, and we do believe in diversification. For example. Um, Within our index, we use a modified equal weighting uh, strategy. So, so no one security takes up more than a couple percentage points of the entire index in terms of weight. And, and that helps diversify risk so that if any one company uh, or any one particular theme has a bad day, uh, the investor is, is somewhat cushioned by that because of the diversification. Um, and then the other advantage of having not just one interesting up and coming area like telehealth, but many, is that you can take advantage of a lot of the different um, uh, innovation that's happening out there. So for example, our top three year-to-date performing subcategories are telehealth, which has returned about 110% year-to-date, data analytics, uh, about 85% year-to-date, and genomics, 61% year-to-date. So if you were only focused on one of those areas, you might be missing out on, on a lot of uh, performance opportunity happening in other parts of healthcare. Perfect. Now, who's, uh, now is it a, a, a larger team uh, that, that's selecting uh, these stocks? And how does, how does that work? So we do use a fundamental analysis methodology uh, where we've got a team of um, investment analysts, as well as a team of advisors um, who work hand in hand with us. These are the who's who, if you will, of, of the robotics automation and AI, um, world-renowned experts in what they do. For example, um, the director of AI at MIT. Um, the founder of the company that is now what we know of as Amazon Robotics. Um, these are the people that have been on the cutting edge of all of these themes, and they sit on our advisory board. Every quarter, we do a rebalance. And at that time, because of our constant um, due diligence and fundamental analysis, we're always trying to stay ahead of whatever new themes are emerging. 
And if we decide at the quarterly rebalance to bring in a new company or to, if one of them fails to continue to meet our criteria, kick one out, we have an extensive committee meeting, a voting process where all of these different advisors and um, investment analysts put their heads together and and we have this pretty um it, it's kind of an elaborate way to come up with what we create is our finalized index and it's updated routinely uh essentially so that our investors can just kind of set it and forget it whereas we're doing all the background work to make sure that all these themes are are included oh that's really impressive and that does make a lot of sense so the market is in an uptrend but make sure your growth stocks are still acting well and make sure you are managing risk uh, for all of them. Uh, let's take a quick break, but when we return, we are gonna talk about some of the innovative trends that are happening in the healthcare world today. We'll be back. I am here with Scott St. Clair. Scott's one of our senior product coaches at MarketSmith. Now, Scott, there are a ton of publicly traded stocks just on the US. I think it's over 5,000 stocks. Who has the time to go through all these stocks and find the very best ones? Yeah, most people don't, right? So what you need is a tool like MarketSmith. We have decades of research on what makes a great winning stock. So we've done all the research for you. So we're going to try to highlight those specific stocks with those great data points. So if you're looking for that next great potential big winner, orange stock ideas button, you just click on it and you've got some of the main reports that we use, including the Growth 250. Yeah, and the Growth 250 is the first list that I go through on the weekends. Yeah, it's the most popular one, but there are others. There's the Breaking Out Today, Stocks Near a Pivot, and then the Blue Dot List, right, which is very popular. It's going to show you the stocks with the best relative strength. So we've done a lot of the work for you. What you have to do is review these lists. You're going to come up with some of the best ideas in that current market environment. Perfect. Marksmith saves you time and makes investment research that much easier. For more information, go to Investors.com slash podcast 2020. Nina Decca is our guest on Investing with IBD, sponsored by Marketsmith. Okay, Nina, let's get into some of the larger trends that are happening in the healthcare field today. You you started to touch upon them in the first segment. Uh, let's start off with telehealth uh, and walk us through this and, and what you're seeing in this uh, part of the uh, industry. Uh, so telehealth, no one's going to argue that it's not here to stay. And yeah. interestingly, it seems to have come up from out of nowhere from a consumer perspective. However, it's not new. Telehealth's been around for a while. Um, and when we think of telehealth, we think of uh, connectivity in the in the healthcare uh, space. So um, not just doctor patient visits, but also um, connecting uh, devices to patients, devices to doctors, doctors to doctors. Uh, there's a huge world of of this connectivity that we have we have only just scratched the surface. So um, we have very high conviction that in the next five to ten years, virtual care is going to underlie every facet of healthcare. And, and we will look back and say, wow, um, I, I, I don't remember a world where we didn't really have access to this. So right now, when people think about telemedicine, they're thinking about these doctor-patient visits, which right. have exploded in an adoption uh, in the last year because of the pandemic and, uh, and, and people staying at home. Um, that's just one small part of the broader telehealth virtual care opportunity. And, uh, and so, uh, for example, Teladoc is uh, a company in the HTEC index, but it's also um, a company that we believe is very well positioned to capitalize on this theme. They acquired a company called InTouch 
uh, a couple of years ago that uh, we're leaving 2019 that um, actually helps hospitals uh, by providing this underlying infrastructure to get this connectivity between the devices and the doctors and the patients um, to help manage care more broadly um, over the long term. Uh, and then- So can you walk us through an exa example of that with the, the devices and, and the doctor? Is there a yeah, particular scenario? There's a couple. So if you think about um, the traditional doctor-patient visit, it's a pretty healthy person seeing a doctor for a one-time acute event like a sinus infection uh, or they need their prescription refilled for their inhaler. Yeah. These are things that if you can't get to a doctor right away, you might wind up in urgent care or in an emergency room, yeah. a much higher cost setting for something that could have been resolved within a few minutes had you gotten a primary care doc on the phone. Um, enter the, the world of telemedicine. It helps meet that unmet need. It gets that, that quick, uh, that need, unmet need resolved uh, without having to go to a higher cost setting. Now, what about the people who are sick? So they actually have a chronic illness. This is not a one-time sinus infection. This is heart disease. This is diabetes. Mm -hmm. um, if you have diabetes, you might see a doctor maybe six plus times a year for your checkup. And that's challenging to have to physically get in a car, leave the office, hire a sitter, and go and, and see a doctor in person. What if you don't have a car or access to that ride? Um, so if we can increase the number of those visits for chronic care management that take place also remotely, um, that, that is another way to, to meet this unmet need. Yep. And that's a whole different world because now that's, that's not you seeing a doctor, that's, that's you seeing your doctor. And that requires a level of infrastructure within the healthcare facility so that, uh, so that the doctor's not using FaceTime or, or something that's uh, nothing wrong with FaceTime, but something that's uh, maybe not HIPAA compliant. Mm -hmm. So to provide the underlying, underlying infrastructure that enables a doctor to see their patient, schedule visits, um, manage the claims so that everyone's getting paid appropriately. Um, this, this is new. So telemedicine, not new, but telemedicine used for chronic care management due to some, uh, some easing of regulatory constraints this year because of the pandemic, we're yeah. seeing more instances of it. And, and that's not something that you can just use your smartphone and do. You have to have some sort of infrastructure in place. Um, so that's one example of, of how a hospital might use it differently than like me and you. Okay. Uh, another way, and this is like, let's think about device connectivity for a minute. You've got um, in surgical robotics. Um, I'm not sure how, how familiar you are with some of these um, instruments, but when, you, when, a, when a surgeon is conducting the procedure, they're actually looking uh, into a console and, um, and, and then controlling uh, the actual surgery. But sometimes- Like an intuitive surgical, like a Da Vinci sure, machine, yeah. is that what you're talking about? Okay. Yeah, that, that's one example. Okay. Um, and in fact, InTouch has a, a partnership with Intuitive Surgical. So InTouch is the acquisition of Teladoc. So mm -hmm. it's an example of this sort of device, medical device technology integration um, that we as consumers don't see but it's enabling a, a surgeon to look in the console and let's say there's another application where normally they'd pick their head up and, 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 and look at this other view. Uh, working with, with InTouch, they're working on integrating that application into the console so that the surgeon can keep focused in this one area. Yeah. 
And uh, it's kind of like how in a car, when they when they try to bring everything to the dashboard and, and make it nearby you, so that you're not looking at all these different places. And um, and so that, that's just one yep. example of an, like a device-to-device -device integration. Um, yep. Anyway, they well, bought. Well, Nina, let, let me interrupt you for one, one second, because the, the one thing that I've always kind of thought about, especially with intuitive surgery, because there's already a robot, and, and so you have the doctor controlling there. For me, it seems like it's natural that eventually, once you get really uh, high co connectivity and, and really super fast speeds, you could have a doctor that connecting remotely into a Da Vinci uh, a machine and actually perform or, whatever they need or to. Or Corindus uh, instrument. So Corindus okay. is a, a robotics company that was acquired by Siemens Health and Ears. Okay. Uh, one of the largest robotics acquisition last year. And, um, and there is already a surgeon in India that has conducted telerobotic surgery from oh. over 20 miles away um, on cardiac patients. And uh, to your point, the implications of this are far and wide because there are patients who might live in places where they don't have access to world-class surgeon. Yes. Um, and, and yet if, if we have broader access to say 5G and wider adoption, um, the technology is here, it exists. And now it's just a matter of, of whatever the regulatory constraints are, um, whatever the, the Wi-Fi, the, the high-speed internet constraints are, but right. as all of that get, grows and gets more sophisticated and approved over time um, through regulation, uh, I would expect that we would absolutely see further adoption of that. And that is yet another example of this broad world of telehealth and virtual care where we have just barely scratched the surface. Yeah, and, and you know, when we were talking uh, before, uh, one, one thing that you brought up uh, that, that I never thought about, but it, it made a lot of sense was just even just uh, the just the, the traditional diagnosis of if, if a patient is, you know, if a doctor recommends to a patient that they should have heart surgery, easily getting a, a second opinion. Uh, talk yeah. a little bit about that. Sure. Well, and actually, that's there's another example where Teladoc has diversified uh, beyond the traditional doctor-patient visit. Uh, they acquired a company called Best Doctors a few years ago, which brings people exactly that service. So now we've got the, I'm sick for a day, I just need a, a quick Z-pack for my sinus infection. Yeah. We've got the chronic care management capability. And now we've got something very acute and, and high acuity and, and, um, and, and, and high cost. And that is cancer treatment or, um, or potential surgery, back surgery, et cetera, where um, you might want a second opinion and, and you might not have access to that. And so through this service, you can get access to world-class team of doctors who will look at your charts and review it and say, yeah, um, we do think that surgery would be a good idea, or we do think that that chemotherapy would be a good idea. But it brings another peace of mind to the patient or yeah. to the employee, whoever's paying for this service. Um, and it also helps save costs uh, for whoever's paying for the service. Because if at the end of the day, you got the back surgery and maybe it wasn't necessarily needed, that's probably your employer in America, if you work for a large employer paying for that or yep. your health insurance company. Okay, so let's move to data analytics and, and how this is changing and how healthcare is improving because of it. Sure, um, there's, there's many, many ways, but let's start with a couple, um, maybe some companies that are in the HTECH index that we think are displaying this really yeah. well. So 
One Medical is a company uh, also known as One Life Healthcare, uh, where uh, actually they just reported earnings yesterday, beat and raise their, their member volume is up nearly 30% year over year. So what they're doing is they are providing a more Zen experience to the primary care physician experience. Um, today, it takes an average of 29 days to get an appointment to see your primary care physician in the United wow. States. It could take a while because it's it's like a checkup and it's a lo slightly longer visit and um, and they they just it might take a while to get in. Yeah. And, and the scheduling of that might also be another hassle. So uh, One Medical utilizes um, their their sophisticated software technology to help arrange it so that if your doctor isn't available quickly, you can get to see somebody else um, if you needed that that sinus infection looked at or something more acute. Um, I, I used it once myself a couple of years ago on New Year's Eve. And I thought, who, who am I going to see? It's a holiday. And they were able to get me in within an hour or two to one of the many wow. in New York city. So is that like an urgent, it's not an urgent care place. It's kind of a little bit, it's little just less getting than primary care attention when you need it around your wow. convenience. And the thing is the doctor office is like, there's green tea and there's like comfortable couches and, um, and awesome. when you call their number to make an appointment somebody answers and, and they're very nice. And, um, and behind the scenes is where they've got all the AI doing all this work. They, they pull up your chart immediately. They see that maybe you have had a history of a sinus infection, for example, um, or, or maybe, maybe you're due for a checkup or, uh, or your lab results came in for some reason and you need a prescription for something. They can start to reroute the patient's needs um, behind the scenes using AI in a way that cuts down on hundreds of manpower hours for everyone involved. Um, I'm not sure if you're aware, but with the adoption of the electronic health record system, there was um, uh, a lot of a, a high need for doctors and nurses to spend time looking at a screen, filling out the electronic health record software um, mm -hmm. templates. And that's for every patient. And if they can't get it done uh, with the patient, they spend a lot of time at home or on Saturdays um, getting caught up on all, all of the, the data input. Um, and so One Medical helps alleviate that by automating it, um, freeing up so that the doctor can look at you, not a computer, and also frees up the doctor's time so that they're not spending Saturday nights at home. Um, yeah. at and, uh, and so this has created a nice Zen experience, not just for the patient, but also for the doctor. And then when you show up for your doctor visit, they pull your chart up, they already see everything that you called about. And, uh, and it's a very seamless thing that's happening in the background. We experience this type of service in other parts of, of sectors that are not healthcare associated. And it's only a matter of time before healthcare catches up. Yeah. Which is being helped along by the, the by the fact that we've gone electronic over the last decade, um, but it's going to take companies like One Medical with this data analytics and AI capability to really drive that, um, so that we can have these seamless experiences. So One Medical, that ticker symbol is O N E M, and exactly. they just went public uh, at, at the beginning of this year, January thirty first, twenty twenty. That's uh, right. And so, yeah. yeah, that that's really interesting. I, I've seen one of their offices, and I was like, I think that's the that stock, but I never really understood the story. And they also offer virtual visits. So remember how I mentioned earlier that sometimes you don't need to see a doctor face to face. Their AI also helps enable the rerouting, if you will, of of your time 
rather than taking your time and having to commute in and, and, and schedule an appointment, if it doesn't need to happen, if they can just deal with it by the phone or, or get a doctor on the phone with you, mm-hmm. in the month of March, uh, 250,000 people use their virtual services. Wow. That's, that's really impressive. It makes sense, though, just like you're talking about all these other industries where it's happening. Convenience, uh, if it's convenient and, and convenient and effective, uh, more and more people are going to continue to use it and it's just going to grow and grow. Let's, let's go into one more. Uh, and uh, this is diagnostics and early cancer detection and, and what's going on in this field. So many things are happening here. Since June alone, various companies in the HTEC index have participated in M&A, totaling over $10 billion in wow. uh, acquisition valuation. A uh, large portion of that was Illumina, um, another member. Uh, so what's happening here is you can draw blood from a patient and analyze that blood and look for um, DNA from cancer. And, and this is pretty cutting edge. So it's called liquid biopsy. Um, and we, we've been using liquid biopsy now for, for a few years. For example, with, um, uh, with pregnant people, you can draw blood and fetal DNA will shed into the blood. And just from taking the mother's blood, you can detect chromosomal abnormalities. Um, so in a similar way, cancer, tumors shed DNA into the blood. And by drawing the patient's blood, you might be able to pick up on that. And this can be used to detect uh, early on whether somebody has cancer before they have symptoms, before they even know that they have a tumor. Um, This would be a tumor biopsy, which needs, you you require surgery, um, physician, you have to go somewhere. Uh, whereas blood, anybody can draw. Well, not anybody. You have to you have to go somewhere for a blood collection, or someone could come to your house. Yeah. But you don't need a surgeon for that. Um, but what you do need is the the genomic uh, sequencing capability, and you have to be able to analyze that. And so that technology is here. It exists, but it is it is underadopted. For example, if you have lung cancer, ninety percent of the patients who have lung cancer are not being tested for the known genetic mutations of lung cancer. Um, so, wow. so there's a huge opportunity for, for this to really um, take hold. So and are they, Nina, are, are they using, so they're using Illumina uh, machines to detect this uh, cancer? Well, or is Illumina, uh, Illumina is just complete, that they're more in the diagnostic field? Illumina is the world market leader in sequencing uh, capability, okay. the next generation gene sequencing capability. So you can take the test, but you can run it on the, um, run the, t- the test on the Illumina sequencer. Okay. What Illumina did was they bought a company that makes the test, Grail, for, uh, it was valued at $8 billion, but they already owned a billion dollars worth of it. So they spent like $7 billion. Um, and Grail is this, uh, one of these companies that's, that's, that's working on, it's not FDA approved yet, but they're looking in that in the next couple of years, um, that will enable this ability to, um, do a liquid biopsy. So draw blood and, and look for cancer. And, um, and the idea is, okay, so less than a third of all people who get diagnosed with cancer are being diagnosed in stage one or stage two. Yeah. But if you can get diagnosed in stage one or stage two, you have the, the highest chance of survival and, and recovery and, and the treatment costs the least as well. Um, so the idea is that if they can get more people tested and, and identify the cancer sooner, uh, an estimated 100,000 lives in the U.S. alone could be saved every year 
huge opportunity. So Illumina has actually identified this as a $75 billion opportunity over the next 10 to 15 years. Yeah, it and makes sense. Uh, I mean, if you can incorporate this into like your annual, just your annual physical that, that, that you go and they're drawing blood and they're, they're testing for this while testing for other stuff, that, that right. makes a lot of sense. Exact Sciences also just acquired another company uh, to do the same thing. And, um, and that's the goal is to be a screen. Yep. So why not, while you're already drawing blood, draw another tube to test for multiple forms of cancer. So um, Exact is also going after, let's not just test you for one organ, uh, be it colorectal cancer or breast. Um, let's, let's test you for multiple cancers all, all in one blood draw. And, and so they're working on that right now. Um, and, and so it's a really exciting time to be in the early cancer detection space. Uh, a lot of these companies are getting involved. Roche, through its acquisition of Foundation Medicine, Invitae, also mm -hmm. announced to acquire Archer DX. Yeah. Um, so a lot of M&A activity happening right now, and it, it makes sense that all these companies want in on the action with, with this vast market and growing market opportunity. No, that, that's pretty incredible. So understanding the larger trends behind any industry can help you develop conviction and increase your probabilities for success. Coming up next, we will discuss a few ideas. Stay tuned. MarketSmith will give you a huge edge in the stock market. Better stocks, bigger profits. MarketSmith is the top research platform for IBD. It's just the best tool for individual stock selection. Everything within MarketSmith is designed to bring those best stocks to the surface. It does a lot of the work for you of filtering down to the potential leaders. It's when you take the training wheels off and you're ready to invest on a more professional level. MarketSmith will help you take control of your investment life. If you want to get serious about investing, start your membership today. We are back with Nina Decca on investing with IBD sponsored by MarketSmith. Okay, Nina, let's get into a few ideas and let's start off with Illumina. You mentioned this before, uh, ticker symbol ILMN. This is a stock that I've always been a, a fan of and a company that I've been a fan of. Um, and, and walk us through what's so special about this company. Already the world market leader in next generation sequencing and a pioneer at that. And, um, and this company had actually previously owned the company Grail, spun it out, and now, now they've purchased it back at this at this uh, seemingly high price tag. But when you look at the $75 billion market opportunity for early cancer detection over time, uh, over the next 10 to 15 years, um, the company believes that they're onto something and, and we're with them. That's long-term. Uh, and that that is maybe the next big thing in genomics. And, and Illumina has been I mean, they've been consistently a leader in this space, right? And and so they they they've always kind of seemed to be a step ahead of others, and and even investors sometimes don't really understand what why they're doing something, uh, but they might only find out later once now that they see the revenue coming in. I think so, and it might take time with with Grail, for example, because mm -hmm. they're they're not they're pre revenue right now. So um, I think the other thing too is because because Lumen has been around for a while now, and they're they are they have been generating strong earnings. Um, they've got an investor base that that looks for that the earnings growth, as opposed to the the investment in the pre revenue asset um, for the the high growth opportunity over time, and so what we might see is an inflow coming from that investor base who's looking for exposure to, um, to the early cancer detection or to the, to the fast growing themes in genomics. Mm -hmm. and, um, and, and maybe the pullback has been more of those 
um, those other more traditional investors who were saying, we're looking for earnings right now. And if you're not going to deliver those, then we're going to take a step back. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Okay, let's go to the second uh, company here. And this is uh, Omnicell, ticker symbol OMCL. Sure. So this is an interesting one. This is a, a about $4 billion market cap company, um, and they specialize in uh, healthcare robotics used in the pharmacy. So if you think about, um, well, okay, so let's take a hospital system, right? We know that a lot of the hospitals around the United States in particular have purchased other hospitals well, largely over the last decade. And so it's really consolidated such that now a hospital system um, could have thousands of different locations where they keep meds. And it's really hard to track that uh, yeah. when different buildings in different towns scattered throughout a state or throughout a region. Um, and, and actually this is all over the world, especially in single payer system countries uh, where it's, it's, it's one system that manages all the hospitals. Um, and think about the complexities associated with maintaining inventory, refilling the stock in all these shelves, and, um, and, and also maintaining um, expiration dates. So, um, so you, you have to automate that. And what happened during the pandemic, one example was at NYU in New York City, uh, they identified 75 different drugs that were critical to the treatment of coronavirus. Um, and early on, uh, as, as you're aware, New York City experienced uh, a high volume of cases right. earlier. Um, and so they identified these. And then now think about the thousands of locations where all these meds might be hiding. Um, another New York City health system had one hospital area that had tons of the meds and then another one where it was needed that didn't have any of them. Yep. And, um, so just, just think of the, the, the logistics and the paperwork involved. Um, OmniCell seeks to automate all of that, and um, and they and they're using robots. They and and data analytics. Um, th they actually have sophisticated robots that can actually go to all of these different cabinets or dispensing systems and and refill and restock and and wow. and, and know exactly what's where at any given point in time. That's incredible. I know, and also uh, what might be expiring soon, and. Um, they have also automated the actual pharmacy. So when we think of a pharmacy, we think of uh, a pharmacist who is a very expensive uh, uh, full-time employee. This is someone with a sophisticated degree and, um, and largely over the last several decades, they've kind of been relegated to, to picking pills and, and putting them in bottles. But, um, but we could use their brains to be facing the patient and managing medication regimens um, in a different way yeah. that, um, that that you do need a human with a sophisticated degree to do. But the picking of pills and, and restocking shelves, let a robot do that. And, and so OmniCell also provides that technology. And, um, and so anyway, they, they just had um, reported strong earnings. Um, they are converting a lot of hospital systems to their, uh, their dispensing system and their uh, robotics and automation capabilities. And the stock is up 18% year to date, uh, but they still have a long runway for, for growth because pharmacies and, and everything I just described to you are largely not automated yet. Yeah. And now did they take all, cause all this with, with uh, just maintaining inventory and stocking shelves that immediately just brings my mind towards. Walmart and Amazon and, and how they innovated 
and especially Amazon with the robotics about Walmart with the distribution centers and making sure everything's stocked in real time kind of inventory. Did Omnicell just take a lot of those uh, best practices or did people from that, from the retail field come over to the medical field and just apply all that knowledge uh, to, to this part of the healthcare world? No, no. Omnicell has been in this business for a while now. Okay. They're uh, Omnicell um, and they've got a couple of other competitors that have been involved in this. Um, there are certain things that healthcare was already kind of doing, um, before it became known to consumers, um, in terms of, uh, e-commerce. Um, another example of that is a company called Vocera. Uh, they have a hands-free, uh, wireless device that's worn by healthcare workers that they can use to speak to one another. And, um, this device has to be able to capture people with, uh, with accents from all over the world, oh, sophisticated wow. medical technology and, and terminology, yeah. and be able to, uh, to speak and hear different names that are being, please call uh, nurse so-and-so. Um, and it also has to know who's on staff at any given point in time. Um, that, that requires a level of, of sound and, and ability to, to, to do the, the language processing um at a deeper level of sophistication that they have been experts with for for a while now um and long before we had alexa and siri uh oh wow, wow. Sarah had this working and so 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 there's a couple of really neat applications that we don't really see all the day all the time as consumers but yeah we've been in the works and are, are fast growing and actually vocera is another Every company I've mentioned, by by the way, in this whole show uh, has been a member of the H Tech Index. So, if you like what you're hearing and you're you're not sure what stock you want and you want to just buy an ETF that captures all of them, um, that's just one way to do it. But Vocera and and Vocera, the ticker symbol is VCRA. Yeah, and uh, yeah, oh, that that's perfect. Um, so let's go into uh, another stock, and and a lot of our listeners are going to be familiar with this, and a lot of people are going to be uh, familiar with this uh, because of COVID. Uh, Moderna, uh, ticker symbol MRNA. Sure, that's right. So interestingly, we brought Moderna in in March into the index, and it is uh, it was a way for us to bring exposure. Remember when you asked earlier the goal of our ETF strategy? Right. Right. We want to provide exposure to all these different innovations. Yep. This was our way to bring exposure to mRNA, which has now become uh, seemingly a household term, right? Whereas a year ago, I don't know that a lot of people would have really known what mRNA was. Um, essentially, messenger RNA is, uh, um, think about downloading antivirus software into your computer, and then it teaches your computer how to fight a virus should one come along. That's exactly what mRNA technology is doing. And that's what Moderna seeks to do with uh, not just this coronavirus vaccine, but, um, but interestingly, and, and let me take a step back. Y- yes, it's exciting what they're doing with coronavirus, but that's not why we brought them into the index. Uh, we actually brought them in because they have over 20 other therapies in clinical trials right now, 10 of which are other vaccines. They're also working here. They're working on orphan drugs. Um, mRNA is cutting edge, but this particular company we believe is, is a strong pioneer because, um, they are utilizing AI. We mentioned that earlier, mm-hmm. um, in every aspect of their research and development process. And, uh, from the, from the minute someone has an idea of a new therapy through, um, through the creation of the formulary formulary and, and so on and so forth throughout the clinical trial process. 
And what this, this does by deploying AI is it takes thousands of manpower hours out of the traditional R&D process. This is why Moderna was able to come up with the coronavirus vaccine within what was 72 hours. Um, and in fact, uh, in a conversation with management a couple months ago, they told me that back in January, when they first learned of the coronavirus um, and, and the, the, the gene sequence was identified, mm -hmm. they said, hey, let's just put this to work using our software and our AI and see if we can come up with a vaccine. And they did, like within a day or two. <laughs> That's why all of a sudden they're like, hey, we have an idea for a vaccine. Um, and then they, they were able to begin clinical trials. So um, that is... A, over a decade's worth of them accumulating data and practicing and trying and failing to get to where they are today and how this coronavirus vaccine has, has, has advanced so quickly through their development process. And it doesn't stop there. Um, and, and, and I'm not sure if you heard of the news recently, there was another mRNA therapy also looking to, to be a coronavirus vaccine by, by a competitor. And the interesting thing about gene therapy is that whenever a new modality or a new type of therapy gets approved, mm -hmm. it's a positive catalyst for the whole industry. Uh, same thing happened with RNAi. All it took was one drug to get approved and everybody got excited about all the other RNAi therapies that were out there. Um, so with Moderna, all it takes is one drug to get approved for people to get excited about all the other ways that you can treat disease using mRNA. And Moderna is very well positioned to have a very long runway for growth because they have these 20 other therapies in clinical trials. Uh, a lot of people don't know this, but they're working on a vaccine for HIV. This is a disease that we used to infect a couple million people a year and we still have no vaccine for it. Um, they're working on one for RSV. This is a respiratory illness that uh, small children suffer and, uh, and CMV. So they, they, have, they always have data coming out. They just reported new cancer data today on another therapeutic that they're working on. Um, so it's a really exciting space. And, and this company is, is very well positioned for growth well beyond the coronavirus vaccine. I mean, the, yeah, it, it's it's mind-boggling, actually. It, it's hard to kind of comprehend what what they're doing because it's 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 just so advanced. So uh, that that's pretty amazing. So there are a few ideas that are worth considering. Thanks, Nina, for joining us today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I uh, really appreciate it. Next week, we are going to have Kenny Polcari on the show. Kenny is a managing partner at Casey Capital Advisors, and he's also the chief market strategist at Slate Stone Wealth. That's it for this week on Investing with IBD. I'm Arusha Paris, and thanks for listening. And for this week's notes and charts, make sure to go to investors.com slash podcast, where you'll find details for each episode in the podcast episode section. And make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast if you haven't already. We'd really appreciate it. You can also send us your questions and comments to investingpodcast at investors.com. We would love to hear from you and may use your comments on an upcoming episode. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only, and nothing should be construed as a recommendation to buy, hold, or sell any securities. Make sure to consider consulting with your financial advisor before making any investment decisions.